Yeah, recording. Good. Okay, sorted. Good, good, good. Good morning. It's gone. There's that familiar phrase. Good morning. From the couch. Morning. The house is asleep, oh. so I'm a little bit whispery and quiet. But uh, red. If you can hear me, that's good. House yeah. tricks. Tricks. How tricks? Trick. Tricks. Pretty good. I turned off the air conditioner for recording and I cranked it way down ahead of time. So uh, it's supposed to be like 95 here today. What is that? Fahrenheit. 35, 35. So I may melt, but no, I'll be fine. And, but I'm just like already feeling the like tension of it, of it rising. I can feel yeah, it yeah. now versus the cool on my back. Uh, I'm like, yeah, so mm, am I going to be all right? Am I going to be real hot? Through the whole episode. Right. Awesome. Huh? Ah, did you get some questions? One and a shared one with you. So oh, not on, much. People. Did you get okay. a lot more? Yeah, I got a handful. One, two. That's good. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, that's inappropriate. Yep, seven. Six usable ones. Start with that one. <laughs> no, Laura, I'm not going to answer that question live on the air. Ooh. Um, oh, daddy. daddy. <laughs> so I guess to preface, we, we asked on Instagram individually mm. for questions that we could potentially answer on the show. And we got a couple, not very many. So we'll probably do, I, I didn't get that many. Jim got a little more, even though the middle of the night over there guess guess you're well, just more more on the internet I, I think they're all appropriate for both of us they're not specific to butter so we can both yeah, yeah. respond right as we see fit yeah i didn't know how that was going to go maybe i should have been yeah. like more specific they, sometimes i feel like the ask me anything you get like you know it like needs a prompt almost yeah yeah right like ask me anything about blah, blah. flood insurance you know like <laughs> we should have done that one damn that's so much more interesting. All right. Um, oh, well, I'm going to jump straight in. What do you got? First one. Does anyone... Mike. Mike. And I'm so bad at pronouncing people's handles. I'm just going to apologize <laughs> straight up. Right. Right. I, say, I just I just see <laughs> people's handles as a string of letters. I never really pronounce them in my head. So when right. it comes to things like yeah. this, I'm like, apologies, It's going to make it all the more interesting. Mike. Mike and wins. Mike and wins. Mike. Does anyone reply on? Uh, does anyone rely 100% on your facility for their business, as in use oh. LBE or PDX, as the fab department for their mm. solely like all of their operations? No, I don't think so. We've definitely got we're like we do contract manufacturing for people, where we'll make like significant proportions of their product range, right? Or significant proportions of their product. Right. So in some sense, yes, like, yeah, people rely on us to mm -hmm. be there and be making their parts, but it's not like they couldn't go to someone else and get those parts made somewhere with someone else with a workshop and a CNC. So, yeah. Don't say that. No. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> Don't say that. They could not go somewhere else. <laughs> somewhere else. Don't say um, <laughs> No, I'm trying to think. I mean, we've had over time... A couple, like, I think our longest repeat client, we did over 50 runs of their product over a few years. Yeah. And that would have been, they actually did try to get a another company to do them, and they did not turn out well. No. And I think it was a, an availability problem when we were kind of at our 
got to fly. Most busy time, our timeline was just, he just, they just needed some faster. So yeah, they could have figured it out, but kind of nailing the parts in a way that was hard to replace. We don't yeah. even make that, they don't even sell that product anymore. The guy, super nice guy, but he decided to just change his business and he went and mm. I think he's doing social work. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting from where they were, we were making so many of their parts. But I don't think we, we make, we have like a couple others a couple that are repeat clients now and they have other parts made from things that we don't even produce, right? Or like off the shelf parts to get assembled with it. But I don't think so. I don't think there's anybody. I mean, we just haven't, we're not doing a ton of of job shop work like that. So, yeah. No? No. I would love to know the yeah. follow up question to that. I've just thought we do have one client where we've got a contract to like where the Australian manufacturer of their product line basically and so that's probably the closest to that situation where if we drop them as a client they'd have to kind of start again in australia in terms of finding a manufacturer and setting up all their all their product line with them and that's an interesting situation you know it's good it's good work it's not ideal work for us but it's good steady work to get have that contract and it's hard to not sort of make decisions around the fact that we do that even though it's not really our sort of preferred material to work with or preferred sort of processes but yeah but it's good work to have nonetheless so. mm -hmm. interesting yeah build uk has asked hello pulp build i can see your handle because it's a business name how do you keep mindful of how much time and energy you put into a custom project hmm just cust but by custom project, I guess I'm taking that to be like something close to like one of our products, like where we're like making our own thing, or are we talking about like maybe as a service for somebody else? I would I would interpret that, that as that doing a service job, you know, building ah. for me, that would be like, you know, building someone's custom wardrobe, vanity, right. blah, blah. Right. Yeah. So the way I think about it, and it's changed over time for sure and evolved but i i basically think of it as like a very fast cycle of a product design like mm. exp you know experiment uh, and often it can be really simple it can be like almost no thought and it's just like mm. as i had one client say just print it you know like you know make it on the 3d on the cnc router and it can be that simple but there's also i'm sure you've done a lot more of this but you know the whole like we have this idea, it doesn't quite work yet. Can you help us figure out how to make it work? You know, like as a functional product, doing prototypes for them. And so that huge range, I guess. Yeah. But I would say for us, that hasn't been, we've been put, definitely going away from that kind of thing. And it's hard to make, we've talked about this, I think a few times on here, but I, I think we both agreed it's hard to make consistent money on that kind of thing, unless you're purely set up to like, You've got like the best contracts or something where people just are very willing to pay whatever rate you put out, but it's really hard to bill the right amount of money for that, I've found. You either go too high and then they don't want it, or you screw yourself and don't make enough on it. Yeah, I feel like we've gotten pretty good over the years of managing how much time we invest in the building of the thing. Like you've got, you know, pretty 
solid set expectations both in the workshop and from us to the client on terms of like the level of finish, the level of detailing, how, you know, how well an edge is sanded, things like that. I think where we're still, we've still got a lot of room for, to improve is sort of how much time we sink into that early design stage. You know, our projects are like, we track all of our projects using zero projects. So everyone mm -hmm. tracks their time against custom jobs. And so we know where we sit as we're working through a custom job where we end up and it's often you know we've gotten better and better at that and projects aren't aren't really running into the red at the moment which is fantastic but it's often those early design stages where they still do run into the red it's like we've allowed right. x number of hours to do concept work and all, and another bunch of hours to do sort of design refinement or design detailing and that's where we're tending to blow out because that's where we're sort of whether consciously or unconscious we we're sort of we're deciding to spend more time on those stages because they feel pretty critical and we're not as good at managing our own sort of internal systems to st keep those stages on budget so yeah right certainly having some sort of time tracking helps i think yeah, yeah. so you know what you're putting into something because then it's it I gives you a you know something to judge your efforts by like yeah right we should probably still like i, I know that i and missing things by not tracking time anymore. But I mean, from day one, I did time tracking with all employees for all of our custom work. And I don't remember when it happened. Sometime in the pandemic, I was just like, no, no. more of that. It just felt yeah. like it, it wasn't worth it. And I think it was probably when we were moving away and making knack wall stuff. It was just like, it yeah. just, you know, we, I, I had a good picture of how to charge for things. And what I'm interested thinking about it now, though, is I would love some kind of new AI integrated tool that would help me to better quote jobs based on previous jobs that are similar yes. <laughs> and the time accounted for them. And like, as I'm going to send the quote, it's like, hey, a little clippy pops up and it's like, are you going to lose money on this job? We did one just like this and you did not fill enough time for it, you know, like. I, you know, there's a lot there, but like, figure this it out, AI, you like know, like. Great neck wall of 2019. Are you sure about this? <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure if you want to try yeah. this? That'd be fantastic. Uh, let me know when you've built that. Oh, yeah, right. I'll buy right, it. right, right. When are we getting our personal uh, business AIs anyway? Right. I don't know. I'm still waiting for OpenAI to bring back the browsing thing. I've been, I got like, kind of addicted to that fortune and then they were like nope taking that Bye. away and i was like wait 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 i need that for a lot of things yeah exactly you got a question for us over there let's see here i got one that's a little bit well it's not different we'll start that again alex from adjective frames asked max depth of cut at bit diameter or full send and hope for the best or full send with a cleanup pass i like it raunchy Say it again. What was the first parameter? Max, Max depth of cut at bit diameter or full send mm. and hope for the best. Or full send with cleanup pass. Full send with cleanup pass, for sure. Yeah, if you just have to answer it on face value, that's kind of an interesting, because I like want all these qualifying questions of like, what material? <laughs> like, how many do I have? But we almost always, if it's a sheet good, just full cut, 
full single pass cut with full no single. cleanup pass. Ah, with what and diameter? that highly depends on how good your tooling is, in my opinion, and mm -hmm. also what you're cutting. Of course. Yeah, we stopped doing full sand single pass because it just because of tool deflection. Right. Like we use a 9.5 or 3 eighths tool as our sort of primary mm -hmm. compression cutter. And yeah, did that for years and years and years. And then sort of finally twigged that like, oh, this edge is wobbly or this part's not quite the exact dimension because of tool deflection. Right. So we're pushing yep. it too hard. So yeah, we switched to 90% of that, leaving a skin and then coming in. And that's been good. Has increased machine time, of course, but. It's made for more reliable parts. If you want to know the answer to one of the past questions about like how you deal with custom external time, yeah. time single single job time projects versus our internal stuff when we're like planning out and making like optimal tool pass over and over for like a the knack wall, right? Almost every surface got cut twice at least. You do like a spring pass. And it would be a much cleaner edge because we were the ones that had to do the cleanup on it, right? <laughs> and yeah. I think maybe some of that comes into effect because we almost never do finishing for external projects. Mm. Um, so if we were doing our own finishing, I mean, we typically send things out like really clean anyway. Like it doesn't have fuzz on it or anything like that. But, you know, there's just a lot, a lot of variable you can have from it's a rough crappy surface to like oh i've got to sand and finish that how would i like that to be done and yeah. if it's solid wood solid material almost always two passes because we do a roughing pass with one tool and then the second tool is usually the finishing cutter yeah yeah that's what we're doing on plywood too now we've got roughing tools and finishing tools which has been great interesting you can just flog the roughing tools until they're cooked and just keep a really sharp finishing tool in the machine Right. right. Yeah. You said earlier that you had a nine and a half millimeter compression tool. Do you get half millimeter options in compression tools? Uh, no. Okay. I was no, going to say that's really it's... fine. We have like pretty big jumps between our tool sizes and compression. We do too, but all of ours are linked to your bloody imperial system. So it's like ah. they're all like basically metric or close to metric equivalents of like half inch three eighths right inch. nine so you actually have a 9.52 millimeter compression tool <laughs> i'm sorry yeah this is the thing like they don't <laughs> they call it 9.5 but you know right who knows with some rounding yeah a bit of rounding in the in the documentation potentially yeah yeah oh yeah this this one applies to both of both of us definitely debris brooms has asked is the goal just product sales? And if so, how do you turn off the client work, force it responsibly? Uh, I think I know both of our answers, but you've been a little <laughs> less wanting to commit to that. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm always grateful to have client work, but if I just had my like in personal preference of what I feel like probably is the best business for us, it would be products. I don't know that we have... How, how that'll happen or when it'll happen or if it'll ever happen. Because I think there's always going to be something that's a really good job scenario for both the client mm -hmm. and us. But the way I did it when we started to move 
and try to do the knack wall thing. I, I'm still happy with how that went. I'm kind of surprised. We didn't have a ton of repeat clients, but I basically just kind of bulk emailed everybody we worked with. And I think I selected some of it and just said, hey, you know, we're for, for the time being, we're moving away from doing a lot of new external work for like clients. And then for the people that we were doing repeat work, I contacted them actually before that and before said, that. hey, we're going to move away from this kind of work, but we'll still work on, we'll still do work with you guys, with you just yeah. because they were ideal. And it was very few people, very few of those. So just communication, I guess, if you can, if like yeah. to the right people was how I thought about it. But, and, and we didn't really anger anybody that I can tell. Nobody wrote back and was like, oh, I can't believe you did this to us or anything like that. So maybe we yeah. weren't important enough for their processes or something. I don't know. Or How maybe you? communicated unusually well for a business that would otherwise just ghost people. <laughs> like, right. I think yeah, communicate is what it comes down to. Like, if you think about the reasons you're doing that, you're either making a sort of strategic decision for your own business, which is your business, and you're right. communicating that with your clients and going, cool, we've made this decision. It's going to affect you. We'll help you in your interim or during this period as best we can as we transition towards product say or it's in some sort of emergency situation like sorry xyz's happened i can't do right. your job anymore and in both scenarios it's right. your business and your service that you're cutting off um, right so yeah i think yeah from the sort of question points to the you know how do you do it responsibly Yes, you can communicate well, but at the end of the day, it's your business. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I have just... one other, th or, or did you have more on that? Sorry. No, you okay. One one of my early employees had this, basically had a whole career before working for me for a little while part-time. And he had this great uh, thing that I think about all the time. And I tell all my other like friends when they're considering a big change with their business or you know, standing up for themselves business-wise. And it was, somebody's always willing to go out of business faster than you. <laughs> I love that saying. It's like, you know, if you're thinking about raising your rates or changing to a different type of business, like, than you're currently doing, it's like, do the thing that you need to do. Like, yeah. and you're going to make some people angry maybe, but they don't know your finances. And I think what's so obvious often is it's like, unless you're going on a podcast and spilling your guts about your business, then most likely the public perception is always that you're doing way better than you are. I think every business is like that. Yeah. It's always, totally. oh my God, they're killing it. And then like, if you look at the books, it's like, oh, or barely scraping by, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, look, our, our goal for a long time has been to not get to 100% product sales, but to get to a majority of product sales right because that business model would be preferable for us in terms of time management and how much time we put into our own R&D versus other people's design development but it's proven it's proven to be a challenging thing to do and it really has been the sort of custom client work that has kept us going for the right you know product's been a really strong part of it but it's very rarely sort of gotten past 50% as the 
the share of the work. And it's, I think yeah. ultimately it's good to have both. Like they kind of hone yeah. each other. And I think, I you know, it took us a few years before we made our own CNC related product or even some of the NAC stuff like came from doing client work and there being like manufacturing processes that we had done in that time for other people totally. that I was like, oh, I can use those ideas, fixturing or, or the way we yeah. cut something to make our own things more efficiently, more better. And it was like, you know, creating your own processes through R&D on other people's work, which is interesting. Oh, and asks me, when are we? Uh, yeah, well, sorry. when are we? Sorry, Dutchie. <laughs> what, what <laughs> hobbyist table saw do you recommend? Says, Ooh. hello, Bobbly. Hello, Bobby okay. Lee. Bobby Lee says, what hobbyist table saw do you recommend? Yikes. Personally, I would probably get a track saw. Oh, controversial. I just think they're really, really flexible and take a lot of space. They're very portable, but maybe that's just what I started with. I'm not like a huge table saw aficionado either though. I know like some people, some woodworkers, it's like the tool for a million things and you can't possibly imagine not having it. I, oh yeah, golly, okay. Well, it depends what you want to make, Bobby Lee, but does it, does a, look, I can't go past saw stop. I don't know if that counts as a right. table saw. I know they have different levels of them, but I love our right. saw stop. And I know they make some entry level, more entry level ones. Right. No idea what they cost these days. We bought ours probably 10 years ago and it's been the most solid and it came right. out of the box perfectly tuned and it's been, yeah, it's been such a fantastic asset and it has saved fingers, literally. Right. So hard to say no to I, that. I, as a business, I cannot imagine anything else. I mean, something that had compatible or comparable safety features. There's like a European saw that has some contact based thing and it drops the blade right away. But I, yeah, the thing that's crazy about saw stop to me is you expect it to kind of be this like one trick pony of like, oh, it does the thing, but it kind of sucks otherwise, but it's yeah. not true. It's like, they're really great saws. I'm sure if you get to the highest level of saw, tech things you're going to get like I'm a sure. martin or something right and but yeah, yeah. you know i think if i was just a hobbyist and not using it very much and i couldn't swing the contractor table saw i'd probably get like like the old deltas in america are amazing like the big old heavy steel ones just depends yeah, on if you like need it to fold away or not but yeah we we started with an old lump of cast iron that we picked up i don't know that we even bought it i think we borrowed it for a few years right and it was you know it was powerful and the fence was misaligned and it would kick back and shoot spears of plywood through the wall and Ooh, didn't have any top fun. guarding we just made do with that and until right. we got the saw stop but yeah look the best table saw is probably the one you can get your hands on really but right yeah they're also quite dangerous right. things so right but we both got a message from eric at clear irons it's like a group Ooh group chat ah great which i guess is just a dm that's a group and the part we had material being delivered i heard somebody uh, yell right by the door i was like what was that 
you asked a couple questions. The one I think makes the most sense to answer at the moment. Big picture, your current thoughts on job shop, consulting, customer making, and selling your own products. I know you have a lot of experience. I kind of answered this, I suppose. Do you see clear benefits to this in terms of scaling and hassle factor? Do you feel there's benefit in the diversity of what you offer, perhaps in relation to the economy you were talking about last episode, or more just part of each of your journey? Interesting. Is there something different? That was a long question. Right. Or, oh, wow. Okay. Insert dead air while I read. (laughs) Okay. I'll respond to the kind of the custom versus product in a slightly different way in terms of the benefits of scaling like we used to quote anything and make anything like we would say yes to pretty much anything that came across our doorstep and try our best at making any of those things and that led to like a really diverse like really diverse sort of range of outputs which you know I think part of the struggle now is definitely economic but I also can't help but wonder whether because we're not doing that anymore now our outputs are much more focused and sort of qualified around a certain area mm-hmm. of work it's hard not to sort of ponder whether because we're not saying yes to everything and doing all this sort of diverse work that we're sort of getting less it makes sense we're getting less of those diverse leads and so in a environment where it is a bit more sort of dynamic and up and down and work can sort of opportunities can run out Mm -hmm. it does sort of speak to the power of being able to be anything to anyone certainly in the early days of a business i mean that's how we built our business was doing that so but at the same time like where we're headed now in this sort of focused product direction and custom shelving direction i think it's just about you know communicating clearly finding you know, I don't. I don't think the market's too small. I think it's just finding those people and communicating your value to those people um, yeah. becomes the next challenge. You know, and maybe we could have started a business that was that focused, but we didn't. We started one that was super broad and um, right. and the yes guy. Right. What's uh, interesting about saying yes to everything too is the work comes easy. Hmm. You get. You know, in some regards, I think you start to get a reputation for like, oh, they'll do anything. And so you get you get more and more versus if, you know, you have a reputation for, oh, they only do X, Y, and Z or Z. Uh, sorry, I didn't know if you know what I meant there. It's just a joke. <laughs> sorry, that was stupid. Oh, I said, if you're known for X, Y, and Z, and then I was like, oh, sorry, Z. I didn't know if you know what I meant there. You know, you get that reputation and you know in the early days your prices are lower and you don't know how to price things and so they're too low in the you know altogether so you get your in our my experience it was always you know the more we've moved along the higher our prices are our cover on jobs right of like oh if this is dicey i'm not going to take as much of a risk on potentially losing money so anyway you evolve you learn you get more maybe you get more conservative i guess over time too because you're trying to protect like what you do and how you do it and as you focus like as you become known for one thing or less things it becomes so much easier to communicate what you do to people 
and for right. other people to communicate what you do to their contacts. It's like mm-hmm. it's so long. I couldn't I couldn't put in a like in one sentence what like what I did. And it's only in the last couple of years that that's started to come to us of like being able to, you know, run off a, a one-liner about like what we do. And like, I feel like that's a powerful thing for, not just for us, but for people who might be having conversations, word of mouth, referrals, all that right. sort of process. It's a good point. I definitely am not even close to a one-line explanation yeah. when, you know, like seeing all this family in the Midwest and they'd be like, so what do you do now? Oh man, yeah, a million things to say there. Oh, that was close. Oh, everything okay uh, over there? Thought I was gonna see a. We had a scenario unloading a truck. Just, oh. just lots to watch. Yeah. Oh, what else do you have? Yeah. Oh. I can respond to Clear Iron's hiring thing a little bit. Yeah. Understand if you want to leave that. Yeah, probably won't talk too much about hiring thoughts, just considering we're currently hiring. You're in that process? Yeah, sure. What are your thoughts on hiring green versus hiring rockstar? Look, we've done both, and both have worked out really well for us. So I think, you know, my two cents on hiring is quality and cultural fit basically trumps everything else. And so if you can get a rock star with good cultural fit, then obviously win, win, win. Or right. if you can get someone with no experience, but awesome attitude and great cultural fit, then that's also fantastic. For me, I think, yeah, the defining factor is attitude and compatibility with the business. And, you know, one of the key sort of qualifying questions we ask when we're hiring is, you know, why? One of the early questions we ask is, why do you want to work for us? It's not, you know, <laughs> why you why you want a job or why do you want this sort of job? It's like, why do you want to come and work for us specifically? And that the way people answer that question will keep them on the list or take them off the list pretty quickly. And that's because we've just found that we have much better success long term if the person is you know, genuinely interested in what we're doing specifically as a business and how we operate and They'll mm-hmm. slip in and contribute to our culture much more readily and in a much more successful way for everyone. So, yeah, that's where I stand on that. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I definitely think I'd agree. I want to ask that question. What was it again? The uh, something to do with cussing and, oh, what, what, what was the last time you fucked up? <laughs> right. <laughs> and how did it go? Yeah, that's good. I like it. Question from Wedge Edge. Interested in your creative process and software that augments it. Justin, I feel like I'm always trying to find that kind of thing. Ever since I started learning design, you know, in school, it was always like the problem for me early on was I wasn't very artistic. I still am really not. And so I couldn't draw very well didn't know computer software well enough. So I just like have all these ideas, but like couldn't get them out of my head. They're like trapped in there. And I think over time that drawing skill has improved enough that it's passable. You can understand it's better than my writing skill. That's for sure. And then I really sunk into like CAD software, Rhino and Rhino at the time. And now fusion, although fusion is 
definitely harder to be creative in. I think it always will be just the way it's built. It's, it's so linear, but I feel like there's going to be this huge wave like that Nick Baker guy. uh, And we both, I think follow on Instagram. He's always doing something amazing with like augmented reality modeling things where like he's got some glasses on and he's like creating a shoe or a piece of furniture. And um, I feel like those kind of things are going to be huge. Uh, as we move into that being more normal. Mm. Yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, look, I think Rhino is a big part of my creative process. It's a software that I rejected wholeheartedly at university when I was studying industrial design. And then it wasn't until I was working in industry that I was like, Really? Oh, really? This is good. Yeah, I really disliked because it. Because of SolidWorks, right? It. Yeah, we'd been yeah. trained up in SolidWorks and it was just like, I had a sort of allergic reaction to it, like, nah, rubbish. But it turned out it was the only software we could afford when we got out of school. Right, yeah. Started a business, so it worked out really well. And yeah, so Rhino is still really important to me when it comes to that sort of early sketchy stuff. Right. Drawing, I do draw and like I try and keep a visual diary going, but my, I don't, I certainly don't draw for the look of it. I draw purely as a functional thing. Like my Same, yeah. chicken scratches are just like super functional, really rough. I don't think anyone else would get anything out of them. They're not a, it's not a communication tool for me. It's there's certainly something that happens when you extend your brain with a pen or pencil onto paper. Mm. And I definitely don't do it enough, but it's a great problem solving sort of yeah, functional ideation tool. But yeah, right. typically I jump into Rhino pretty quickly just because I like to be able to work at scale and see how things interact with each other at, at the correct scale. I get pretty mm-hmm. frustrated. I get frustrated quickly on paper of not being able to see the true relationship between dimensions. Right. Because I think that forms part of the problem-solving process of like, cool, if this doesn't fit into that then that's going to change that decision significantly so i can't work that out mm-hmm. on paper <laughs> right i'll just jump in yeah that's kind of how i am too the scale things get to be lost pretty quickly sometimes yeah. you can get a relationship but yeah. i'd say the other thing that i have we've done a lot better and i think it's been from knowing some about myself being the kind of like leading leading person in the design space kind of indefinitely here it i've urged others to it's easier to do it to other people i used to when i worked by myself i would for years right it was like i would design 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 and the cost of making something was high because i didn't have the tools for it i didn't have a cnc router i didn't have a table saw Mm -hmm. and so i would just design you know iterate endlessly and what i would lose so from that process was is all on the computer right was understanding it and so i'd get something made and then the scale would be off or like the something wouldn't be quite right right. and now we are so much closer to like a what i think is pretty ideal for our process anyway is get something made make something physically and from that you're going to learn probably more than 16 iterations in a computer maybe that's going to change with like ai tools but like like, maybe not physical making is still pretty like crucial you hear that yeah uh you hear the bang 
Okay. Can you hear my child crying? I don't know. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think it, I, I jumped to making pretty quickly. That's definitely been key to my creative process is having access to the tools, you know, being able to quickly sketch something in Rhino and send it to a machine or Infusion and send it to a machine and have that thing in your hands and then go again. Like, I, that makes me kind of lazy on the computer. Like, I've never been one to, like, do because I guess I've had access to CNC for so long now. I've never sort of been the continuous iterator on the computer. I've always just like probably jumped too quickly to the machines, spat something out, and then, oh, that doesn't work. Jump back in, tweak something, try print another one. Oh, that still doesn't work. <laughs> like, right. I can be quite impatient, but I think that's just become quite key to my creative process. And then, you know, mm-hmm. then I've become really informed by what the limitations of the machine and like what's that tool diameter cool i want to use that tool either because it's in the machine or that's the only tool i have and that then informs other things around you know the way think parts interact or internal radiuses or whatever it is yeah yeah working within those constraints of either how you're going to make it or something is pretty critical usually too Mm. yeah yeah that's all. That's all the questions I have. I've, I've always, on that thought, I've always wanted to try to share more design-related things. Like, you know, you mm. can make videos about toolpaths, processes, and things, tutorializing those. And I've always felt like there's a lot to that gets missed in, at least I don't see a lot of it, like, there's not a lot of discussion about design, right? And like a at least things that I see. Maybe I'm just not searching that content out, but it's I've never really found much. It's hard to share, I guess. It's hard to share the process of designing things for me anyway. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's really internal. It is. It is internal, and it happens in strange time frames. Right. Like, you don't... Yeah, I find it, you know, it's not like you sit down and you're like, cool, I've got... You might make progress in that half an hour. Or that hour on your flight, or whatever it is, but right, it's yeah. The way it sort of all comes together is so sort of disparate. Mm-hmm. It can be hard to capture that for sure. It's probably why. It, yeah. No, sorry. You go. Oh, uh, it's probably why, at least for me, and I know like almost all architecture oh. grads that I know, and similar to like art, I suppose you kind of learn by like massive amounts of inefficiency, massive amounts, just like not even physically making things, but the time spent like trying to figure out like all these things. And I've noticed lately in myself, which is interesting, you know, and what does it been now? It's been 12, 13 years of since starting school, maybe more than now, you know, previously I used to, have a gut feeling about like what should what should this fillet be what should this dimension be of something and it would you know wildly be off and i'd have to do three more versions to get it right and it still wouldn't feel right and now it's like the last few times i've like picked some stuff done it pretty fast like committed to it and it feels really good the first time and i'm like whoa who is this person you know like (laughs) it feels surprising still that's awesome that's a cool thing to be aware of yeah I like that. Yeah, I think my favorite, one of my favorite experiences, unrelated to design, but in terms of sort of building that skill and intuition, is like 
the skill you develop as a maker where you can like reach into a you're like oh i need 22 screws for this job and you just reach into the bucket and you pull out a handful of screws and then you go and use them all you're like yep that was 22 <laughs> or like one off yeah right like deliciously uh-huh. satisfying uh-huh. um yeah cool man right right that's good thanks everybody for sending us some questions that's great right it was better than probably would have been because we just didn't have a lot thought of at the time i did think of a few more things while we were yeah in the middle but they're kind of unrelated we'll we'll bring those to another day probably okay cool where in the heck is the time oh there it is there it's way up there we should end this i have just something to show you that i can't talk about on here secret sauce wah 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 Mm-hmm. Okay, press the button. Oh. You've got the button. Ah, so it's designed to be benched up or wall mounted? You know, take it off the wall where it hangs. Sick.